0: Given a devastating-like event with corona, you have two options, either close or evolve. And unfortunately, what we saw during the coronavirus um, pandemic was a lot of these small businesses just didn't have the opportunity to evolve. And that's where we got this idea of democratizing data.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Clearview Podcast. Today, I am with Russ Wilcox, CEO of Quantum Analytica. How are you doing today, Russ? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Tell us a little bit about Quantum Analytica.
0: Sure. So, Quantum Analytica, uh, we really focus on what we call democratizing data science, meaning that we live in a society in an era where pretty much everyone expects a certain level of personalization, whether you're talking about Amazon or Netflix, um, and we've grown accustomed to that. We are creatures of habit, and we love when artificial intelligence and machine learning is able to make inferences about us to make our lives easier. Unfortunately, that level of machine learning is isolated to a very, very small sliver of our economy leaving out small businesses. Hmm. And what we really focus on at Quantum Analytica is two things. One, bringing democratization of data science to Main Street, where we really try to work with Main Street and local businesses to create machine learning models to drive innovation and drive success at the local level. The second is the democratization of data. One of our projects called Push Analytica, focuses on recreational and medical cannabis. And we've noticed in this field that there is no true ground truth of data. There's lots of bifurcating sources of data that are often contradictory. What we do is we have custom machine learning models that not only provide hyper-personalization inside the cannabis field, which at times can be thought of as small businesses, right? If you think about a local dispensary, or especially since this is a new, uh, recon- a rather new economic domain, uh, even these larger dispensaries still function kind of like small businesses. So what we do with that is we create a unified playing field with data where we become the ground truth, use machine learning to aggregate raw unstructured data, From a variety of cannabis sites and retailers, we use machine learning to unify that into a democratized data format, meaning that all of this unstructured data is now structured that we can provide to our users um, those data points directly or feed that into a larger pipeline. So really at Quantum Analytica, you can think of us as a machine learning agency that is hyper-focused on the 21st century economy, ensuring that Main Street exists as time progresses forward, and ensuring that there is relative ground truth for new domains such as cannabis or cryptocurrency, where there is a single unified data set.
1: Hmm, that's fascinating. So so yeah, there's, there's this problem with this moat that you know larger larger companies that have access to the data and access to the data science teams are able to just swiftly outcompete the little guys because of their access to that talent and their access to bigger data. And so it sounded like you have sort of two prongs here, where people small smaller companies can have access to those algorithms and access to data um, by democratizing and pooling these uh, both the sort of the algorithm side as well as the actual data. Um, And what would what would incentivize a larger player to participate in this and make their data available to you and their potential smaller competitors?
0: Yeah. So it's about the economy, the local economy. And I'm talking about the economy of money, but the social economy, the social good. If we lift up Main Street, we all succeed. And where this came about was the fact that these larger companies don't want to do that. Facebook in particular, recently, I think uh, back in uh, the early spring, promoted that they are now providing customer segmentation models within Facebook P- Pixel and are really being small business friendly. But that's not true. That's for a way for them to get more users. What we try to do is we look at where do these small businesses succeed? Now, they don't need to have a 90% accurate model. Like these large retailers do, for a number of reasons. First, they don't have the uh, the customer bandwidth, right, that Amazon da- does. The, the customer reach that Amazon does. Secondly, they don't need it because they have recurring customers that trust them. And where this where this came out of was my co-founder, Josh McDonald and I, um, we've we've been good friends for about 10 years. We went to college together and I was down in Virginia Beach um, visiting him and he was working for a small business. And I said, Josh, let's get going. Let's go skydiving. I think we're going to that day. Oh, and nice. he says, Man, I can't. Um, I have all of this work I have to do. I'm like, well, what do you what do you have to do? It's like, well, I have these spreadsheets. I'm doing this, that thing and trying to track orders with. And he was just having a nightmare of a time because small businesses don't have these infrastructure uh, to, to automate tasks. So this started as a data automiz- automiz- uh excuse me, this started as an automating of processes for one specific small business, Austin Custom Brass in, in Kansas City, Missouri. And then it grew to, say, this hypothesis that we had this thing that everyone might have heard of go on in 2020 called coronavirus. And what we saw was that there was a massive number of small businesses that went out of business. And we automatically say that corona caused that. Well, we did studies. We did research into user behavior, user queries on Google, relative uh, need for personalization, we actually found the opposite. That especially in local communities, especially seasonal communities, such as seaside towns that maybe have a summer season as in kind of Atlantic City, New Jersey, or Cape Cod, Massachusetts, you are getting queries for these businesses starting in March, and they were skyrocketing as compared to previous years when that would happen in May or June. So we found that there was a need for e-commerce personalization and e-commerce solutions. But the small businesses were not able to keep up with these large competitors, specifically um, large uh, grocery stores or, say, large um, restaurants, because they don't have the infrastructure available, first off. Second off, they don't have the literacy. Oftentimes, these small businesses think that, oh, I can do everything by myself. And that's a very, very good thing to be self-motivated as a small business owner. However, when you start talking about data, it is going to be a requirement to succeed in the 21st century that you have a data strategy. And these guys think that, oh, I don't need Amazon. My customers will come. Oh, I don't need predictions or I don't need insights. I, I can do all that. However, what's showing, what's what's being done is that the users are starting to expect that and if you don't if you don't have the ability to meet that expectation given a devastating like event with corona you have two options either close or evolve and unfortunately what we saw during the coronavirus um pandemic, was a lot of these small businesses just didn't have the opportunity to evolve. And that's where we got this idea of democratizing data, meaning that these big companies don't necessarily want that data to go out to their users. They would gladly collect it to increase their own profits. But what we try to do is we try to promote data literacy. We try to to promote machine learning at the small business level to drive local impact.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, the you know, the the idea of like COVID just having accelerated a lot of a lot of processes that are already occurring, um, like a lot of these businesses had already been falling behind, um, you know, in their data strategy, including even knowing what one was and that they needed one. And that became very apparent very quickly with COVID. Um, so there's yeah, it's, it's interesting to, try to sort of tease apart how much of this was COVID and how much of this was already going to be happening um, and what can we do about that?
0: Yeah, and what's really interesting is that um, we have a partner, Austin Custom Brass, that that has been great to work with. They're, they they sell phenomenal trumpets and, and brass instruments. And so we did a test uh, back in November. Uh, and we said, okay, well, let's take a look at their Black Friday sales. They had their internal marketing team. Do whatever they did. And we said, okay, well, let's take a random split of 50% of your customers and let's do an A-B test where we use machine learning to drive product recommendations during this time. And so they were totally open to it and said, well, we are excited to see what you did with your customer segments and whatnot. Let's give this a shot. And within the first 24 hours, their internal marketing team generated around $647 of revenue, which was better than they did the previous year. That's, That's pretty good. Using our machine learning model for personalized recommendations, they were able to generate over $13,000 in that same 24 period. And it's not because this model was, you know, the best and greatest out there, but You were essentially going from the industrial revolution, doing this manually to the computer age, allowing machine learning to highlight the features that were important for your customers and provide recommendations that they would buy. And that was one of the most astounding impacts we saw was the fact that we knew this was going to have an impact. But to have that substantive impact within the first 24 hours was astounding for us.
1: Hmm, So it sounds like basically you're you're, rather than, Rather than these teams having to take on the burden of figuring out how to use machine learning and figure out how to like, acquire and clean their data, um, instead, you're just bringing this tool in and it just shines a light.
0: Perfect, because what we try to do at Quantum Analytica is drive insights. We don't build machine learning models just for the sake of building machine learning models. Everything we do has to have a correlated business outcome and we say, What is the business's outcome? In this case, it was to create more sales and to free up the marketers to do what they do best, which is Instagram posting and active marketing, not sitting behind, say, these computer screens doing Excel that no one likes to do. So what we said was, let's use machine learning to help collaborate with the human Environment of a small business to help that succeed rather than thinking about, okay, let's just do this to replace a worker or something like that. No, 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 no. That's not what machine learning is meant to do. The machine learning often succeeds the most when you have this collaborative human machine environment to help facilitate business and outcomes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an extension. It's I- ideally an extension of our own thinking and sense-making that can pre-process and filter information so that we're making better decisions with better information, not necessarily so that it's making all the decisions for us.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Because ultimately running a business and running running sales, there's always going to be some some strategy that you want to be able to take your time to be working on and not chasing down all the detailed information that a model could theoretically put together for you.
0: Yeah, and at Quantum Analytica, like I said, what we really focus on is the data, not the model building because my background is actually in theoretical physics and oftentimes we want to look at the dynamics of a system before we try to model it. Whereas most kind of computer scientists today will say, well, let's put this into a neural network and we'll clean the data a little bit, we'll organize it so it doesn't come up with kind of crappy results and we'll let the model do the rest. And that's where we kind of flip the problem on its head and said, no, let's look at how businesses are using data, especially unstructured data. How do we normalize that so they don't have to hire a data analyst or a data engineer or their IT guy to help figure out API endpoints, right? How can we create this unified structure to help promote small businesses? And as soon as we started doing that, we saw this opportunity within the cannabis industry to start applying that same principle of data aggregation and data unification to really establish this kind of ground truth. And we are excited to be able to use that offering with small businesses as well.
1: Right. Okay. So, how does how does that look technically? Like, let's let's say let's say I'm a small dispensary, and I've got some of my own customer data, some of my own sales data, and it's in its own format and some siloed database running on like FileMaker Pro or some random thing, and uh, I want to participate in this uh, like aggregate data pool and learn insights from other dispensaries and their own sales activities. How, how do you technically connect those things?
0: That's a really great question. And this is what we really kind of, we found revolutionary about this process. So the way we do it is through a process that we call natural language processing. And that's just a fancy way of saying that you're gonna create a, uh, a machine learning model that learns to read, or at least is able to recognize context of, of, of verbiage. So typically, where we started was we said, well, there's a plethora of readily available information that's unstructured. You can get this on Facebook, you can get it on Reddit, you can get it from scraping. The problem is, is that it's unorganized. So what did we do? We said, okay, well, let's figure out a way to get the machine learning model to organize that data for us. And to do that, we created a process that using our scraping if we were to say put in say fat panda which is a a very very popular brand of of cannabis in uh washington if we were to put in fat panda into our algorithm we could generate up to 5.3 megabytes of associated unstructured text that is directly related to fat panda then what we do is say we have all of this unstructured text Let's train a custom language model to be able to identify the distinctness of these articles or these reviews or these product descriptions. Once you get the computer to have a good enough model where it can contextually understand, say, the difference between Indica and Sativa or Fat Panda and, I don't know, Curaleaf, At that point, you can use this not only for modeling, but for data engineering. So using this, we created a process to automate the extraction of information within raw text. So one interesting insight we found is that a lot of cannabis users typically will either give zero or five stars to a dispensary. There's not much in between. So if you look at just the zero to five stars, you're going to see really good or really good or really bad. What our AI model is able to do is go through and parse through the review and understand we'll say, hey, this dispensary was great. It had the strain, but it gave me a headache, but I still love it. So the user might have given it that five, but there's that slight connotation of headache. negative. And the AI is able to understand the sentiment of that and say, well, maybe that's really a 3.5 or a 4.0 review rather than a 5. Similarly, we can train these models to extract useful information. This is called topic modeling to say, well, hey, does it recognize the brand or does it recognize the strain? And if so, let's, pull that useful information out, put it into a structured database that we can then run machine learning models on. So if we were going with these small dispensaries, what we're able to do is say, well, not only we can look at the product offering in our county, But the entire state or the entire country and understand, well, how are you pricing versus your competitors or how many views are your competitors getting through Google versus yours? All of this, we hand them on a silver platter even before they give us our data once they give us their data then we can really do true hyper personalization because what we do is we do not have access to transaction level data because we're doing this all by the book we cannot scrape personal identifying information or transaction data we don't do any of that but what we do is we rely on the content of the unstructured data around us to fuel our models so that that point when a customer or a dispensary comes to us and says, "Well, I want a really recommendation system that will make sure that I'm giving, you know, an individual who comes in here for depression the right strain." Well, they don't have the data to do that. They just have what, what types of transactions are occurring. So it's a mutual benefit to us and the dispensary to merge these two data sets together to really drive that hyper personalization.
1: Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So you're you're basically using NLP to extract extract this data and then cluster it into different like semantic concepts and then associate them with one another. Um, And I'm sure there's a lot of error in that. I'm like, I'm imagining a review where somebody used the word sativa and headache. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a big difference between saying the checkout process was a headache while buying my sativa and the sativa gave me a headache. Mm hmm. Um, but it's okay to have some error there. If the associations, associations that you're making on a large scale are better than chance, then you're getting some value out of it. And then incrementally from there, you are providing insights that people wouldn't otherwise have if they simply were not looking at this data at all.
0: Exactly. And what we do here is one step further. And I love your example because what you're highlighting there is something called contextual ambiguity. So if we look at natural language processing, say, in the early 2010s, when you had Word2Vec and Doc2Vec come out, oftentimes it would be looking at these kind of keyword solutions or keyword relations between, Mm -hmm. say, sativa and sativa or indica and indica, headache and headache. And there's no context. This reminds me
1: of SEO in, like, 2005.
0: Exactly. However, (laughs) Google in 2019 created a transformative methodology Using what we call a transformer, and a transformer is just a fancy neural network that looks at context. So our models use that same transformer technology that Google does to to in, within their search engine to recognize questions and whatnot.
1: You've got like OpenAI's GPT three. That's another example of a transformer. Yes, for Yes, perfect.
0: That yes, that's an excellent example. Um, so we're on that same level of contextual learning, meaning that our model should be able to distinguish that oh the sativa gave me a headache versus the store gave me a headache so we don't just look at those keywords we look at the broader context within the nlp
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's fascinating so this so i mean this this sounds like a really really interesting product and i'm also curious in this in this conversation to dive into sort of some of your journey as a founder Uh, i mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of AI startups these days, and there's a lot of AI startups that are marketing to small businesses. And I imagine small business owners are just as bewildered about AI as they ever have been, uh, especially now that, you know, COVID and everything else has been throwing so much else at their plate. Uh, What is it like to reach this market right now?
0: It's been an amazing journey. Um, I think some of the strongest impact that I take away is seeing that small business succeed when they're teetering on success or failure to know that, wow, machine learning really, really helped and helped us put, o- push, put, us, put us over the finish line. That That's a really good feeling. And, and a lot of the small business work we actually do, and we're in the process of actually spinning up a nonprofit, is open to any small business, meaning that We will work with you no matter your budget because we want you to succeed we don't bring a lot of our revenue in from small businesses we we're very good at machine learning we have enterprise clients and we have cush analytica and what we think of this is a societal need so if you are a small business that doesn't know about data or doesn't have a data strategy? That's okay. We will provide this pro bono for you, in order to help you succeed in the twenty first century economy.
1: Hmm. So tell me, tell me a little bit about like some of your challenges, like personally, in growing the, this business.
0: Yeah. So it's been interesting. So um, my background is actually not in um, artificial intelligence or computer science. My background is actually in computational physics. Hmm. And um, I was doing great there, um, full ride PhD program. And then, um, my dad got ill and I had to transition out of that, uh, PhD program and I needed a flexible work schedule and you only get that through consulting. So I started Quantum Analytica as, as a sole consultancy and that had its own interesting challenges. And I actually got my first consulting gig, uh, through Reddit and it was with an app company called Paziz and it was really doing some really cool, things with uh, GANs and music generation. And so that was my first my first gig, working with Paziz and this, their CEO, Rockwell Shaw. And it was a great experience. I loved the consulting. It got me to be able to work on problems I was interested in. And then it became kind of a snowball effect. You have one good success, and you're referred to another client. And this time it was uh, for a client that was working for the U.S.'s largest eye care provider. And really got a totally different problem space. You go from kind of novel machine learning to okay, how do we improve marketing effic- efficacy? And then the next client was um, a Norwegian data science firm that I was partnering with doing product recommendations in in AI. And that's how really how I got into natural language processing. So. We really sat down and established Quantum as an entity about a year ago, as opposed to a sole proprietorship for as a consultant. And that transition was amazing in so many ways. First off, it forced me to kind of grow the team. So you had to realize that in a startup, you can't just do one thing. As much as you want to, as much as you want to, you just can't. So what you need to do is you need to find co-founders that you can trust, that you can lean on, that will you know will always be there, having your back and having the same goal. And I happen to be very blessed to have two very strong co-founders: uh, Josh McDonald, who I was close with um, in in undergraduate, and then a uh, my chief operations officer, Bertie Wright, uh, who uh, does a lot of the work uh, managing the operation, organizing. And also we had uh, both were physics majors at Boston University. So it helps to have a very strong co-founding team because we're all going to have good days and bad days and positives and negatives. And you really lift each other up. So that's one thing I would say for most startups is make sure that you have a good executive team that, that blends well. The mm. second is realize that you're in for a lot of work, meaning that this is not a nine to five job. You have to do the billing, you have to do the invoices, you have to do the marketing, you have to do the AI, you have to do the data science, you have to do all of this type of stuff. And if you think about that, there's no way you're ever going to get anything done. And what you have to do is you have to silo and you have to focus on what is essentially needed for this product. So a lot of uh, new Tech CEOs will say, well, I want this feature and that feature and this feature and that feature. And you get into what's called feature creep. And that will indefinitely stall your startup. So really sitting back and thinking of this is what do I need to do to succeed? Accomplishing that almost in like an agile methodology and moving on to the next task. And the third is don't be afraid to pivot. Now, yes, it's an issue if you're pivoting every week to say this project or that project, oh, look, there's a squirrel over there. Um, Almost like that kind of ADD kind of comedy, right? You know, oh my God, I can't focus. Look at the squirrel over there. Um, What's really helpful is to recognize that pivots happen. We started as, as, as a, a data, data science agency for, for large-scale enterprise clients, and we still do some of that. And we found out that, hey, we found something really, really cool that we can do with small businesses. And we tried that, and we realized, well, we're not doing this for the money. We're doing this to help the societal good. So how can we take that and still be financially viable? And that's how we landed into the cannabis space and said, well, this cannabis space is an interesting blend of the two. And that's kind of where we, where we kind of got a huge motivation to start creating products and developing product lines and all of this type of stuff other than moving from the sole consultancy. So the biggest take homes I could say for um, any startup founders, have a good exec team have folks that you can trust. Second is yes, it's a lot of work, but don't try to take it on all at once. Take a single bite at a time. Focus on one project, getting that done, getting that out to production. Mm-hmm. And then third is pivoting's okay. Pivoting's going to happen. And it could happen two times, it could happen five times within, you know, 3 years. As yeah. long as you have that final goal in your mind to say that you want to succeed, you want to to accomplish something. You will find your niche and just don't give up.
1: Yeah, it's all great advice. It sounds like, I mean, all of, all of that sounds like it came from a number of mistakes or near mistakes as most of most of the startup process is a process of constantly making mistakes of various types or narrowly avoiding really big ones and being like, whew. And so I'm, I'm curious as we close, of all the lessons that you've learned the hard way, what is the biggest one that touched you the most personally?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think I can answer this from two perspectives. The first is going to be more of a technical for those CTOs out there is validate, validate, validate. And I remember it was my first time dealing with PySpark and working with the client and doing database calls. And remember, I wasn't trained as a computer scientist. And... I had a very, very good mentor and we had a couple projects that were, were fairly rough and this was early in my career and by fairly rough, I mean rather rocky um, and it came down to a great lesson to say always validate your data, have a different way of checking it two or three times to making sure before you put something in, from, in front of a customer, you're sure it's going to work. Now you can apply that to to software development or what whatnot, but I think oftentimes within data science, that that process often gets forgotten, meaning... Mm-hmm. That you're so focused on the algorithm, you're so focused on the product that you don't care about the data and what insights you can be made from it. So always look at the data and validate it.
1: Oh yeah, that that also makes sense in in software in general. Like if you're if you're rebuilding an app in some new technology um, or just building something new that you're going to be migrating from migrating data from the client's previous. Uh, you know, previous database, it can be easy to design exactly what you want to build and then realize that the data that you're actually migrating over doesn't support, like doesn't have some of the, uh, doesn't have what you need to actually do this. (laughs) And you have to account for that.
0: A 100%, the data validation is key. And then secondly is failing is okay. This is for more of the CEO side. One of the biggest things we struggled with was, how do you connect to small businesses meaning that they are probably on average about 10 years behind technologically they're still using wordpress and and as good as these platforms like wix and squareplace and weebly are they are almost crutches they get you into the digital domain but they don't allow you any control over your data so, one of the things we started pitching to companies was data science. You know, bring data science. They're like, well, what's a data science? And I'm like, well, let's scratch our head and, and, and start over again. And how do we market this? And the second thing we did was, well, small businesses know websites. Let's build websites and we'll make them data driven. And that was, uh, that went as well as the Hindenburg, I would say, hmm. because these types of do it. do a website as a service like Squarespace and Wix and Weebly and to some extent, WordPress, if not done properly, gives them the feeling that they control things when they don't need to. So one of the things that they, a lot of these small businesses want was the ability to update textual content on relatively static pages. And we asked them, you know, we're going through the feature and we get done for the website and they say, well, I want to be able to add this text box and, and we're like, well, you didn't, we didn't provide you with a CRM. And they're like, well, I, I, Wix does that. Wix wants that. And well, yeah, let's, let's get down to this. Over the past 10 years, you've used your, your website. How many times have you updated the about me section? Well, zero. But regardless, is that that, that sense of security, that sense of, of, uh, ability to control what's on the website is lost when it, at times you go through a, Uh, a custom site. And while the custom sites have a lot of benefits, we offered things like analytics packages and, and Google Analytics done right and all this stuff like that. It wasn't enough to get past that literacy hump. And that was so we got into some website projects uh, that went okay, but it just it was very challenging and other ones that no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't keep up to Wix or Weebly because that's not what we were trying to do. We were not trying to be a web development agency. We are trying to be a data science company bringing data science to Main Street. And that's when we said, okay, well, let's just take a step back and think about this as uh, almost like an NPO and say, well, how can we just get promote this literacy so and then we found a niche that we succeeded in and we're able to navigate through and do some tests and then stumbled upon cannabis so moral of the story is that yeah you're going to succeed sometimes when you're a startup but you're going to fail a lot of times Mm -hmm. and that's okay because as long as you're learning from your failures you're able to make those necessary pivots to accomplish your end goal So yes, failures happen, but don't, don't mourn over that. Look to the future and say, what lessons can I learn from this situation and use that on my next project? And that's what I really like about the startup environment is because it really fosters this idea of growth mindset, meaning that the only one stopping you is you. And once you get through that kind of mental hurdle, the world's your oyster.
1: Right. Yeah. Like ultimately you can run your startup in a way that even if the whole startup fails, you've still learned a lot and you have built connections and you've built resources and you're in a better place than you started. Um, and I've seen that happen a number of times. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, this has been a really great conversation and I really appreciate you joining. Thank you, Russ. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.